Our first reading this morning comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 12, verses 1 to 4. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Now reading from Romans chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, and then verses 13 to 17. What then shall we say that Abram, our forefather according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God and said it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. It is not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless, because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abram's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our Father in the sight of God, in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Nicodemus has already made an appearance in our worships this morning, so we better hear the story of his encounter with Jesus from the Gospel of John, chapter 3. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? 
one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know, and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. In our scripture readings this morning, we hear about the call of Sarah and Abraham to leave their familiar country and people and relationships and all that was familiar to them and to go out in response to God's calling. To the land I will show you. In the readings from Paul, Romans, uh, from Romans, Paul presents us with Abraham and Sarah as models or patterns or archetypes of faith. Faith is something so simple, so basic, that it becomes extremely difficult to understand. Do you remember that story of Naaman? In uh, 2 Kings chapter 5, Naaman was a great military general. He travelled a great distance because his Israelite slave girl had told him that Elisha in Samaria was a man who could heal him of his skin disease. Then in that story, Naaman gets everything ready. He packs huge amounts of gold. He takes many chariots. All the things that he needs, thinks he will need to acquire his healing from this man, Elisha. We know the story. Elisha kind of avoids him and puts him off. And eventually, after a while, he concedes to send a message to Naaman saying, you'll be healed if you go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. And we know in that story that Naaman's just totally outraged. We got better rivers at home. 
Why didn't Elisha ask me to do something that would, you know, be of significance? If I'd, he'd asked me to pay him money, I could have given him all the gold. But here he is telling me to go and wash in a river. Naaman's outraged. It's a simple task. There is no fee attached. The level of difficulty is almost zero. And Naaman's immediate assumption is this can't be for real. Eventually Naaman comes round, complies, is healed and testifies to the God of Israel. There's a bit of Naamanism in every human heart. The call to have faith appears too simple, that it can't be for real. But you know, we try it and we discover this free gift is totally for real. Faith is so simple, it becomes a puzzle to many. And there's many distortions of faith that we're familiar with. So often faith comes to be seen as some kind of magic, some way of manipulating God to get what we want. Ultimately, this kind of faith is a delusion. We delude ourselves. We're familiar with these distortions. If only I had enough faith, then this illness I'm confronting will be defeated. If only I had enough faith, this marriage that's become strained and toxic will be saved. If only I had enough faith, my children who have left the church would return. If only I had enough faith, this depression and depression and sadness I confront would go away. If only I had enough faith. We know the reality that some people recover from illness and others do not. That some children who are brought up within the church stay and others go in a different direction. That sometimes marriages can be recovered and that for others it is safer and more life-respecting when they come to an end. That there are some experiences of depression that go away, others that are managed and some with which very courageous people struggle for their whole lives. The problem with these distortions of faith that pin outcomes like these on whether we have enough faith or not is the damage that it does. The unsurmountable illness, the unbelieving children, the failed marriage, the ongoing struggle with darkness can all be unjustifiably attributed to lack of faith. When the courage of those who struggle in the midst of the most devastating events and experiences is what faith is really all about. This is the most gutsy, authentic expression of faith. How about the notion that if we have enough faith, that we'll become prosperous and successful? (coughs) We hear this from the television evangelists, but... 
we also know that there's at least an ounce of this in our own hearts. Were we to look to God to be rewarded for where we look to God to be rewarded for our faithfulness. We kind of think to ourselves that if we're truly faithful and good, then surely God will give us the things that our hearts desire. Maybe they're desiring the wrong things. The corollary, of course, is that if we are not materially affluent, then we do not have enough faith. The absurdity of this is just too outrageous to even contemplate. When we look at the faith of the poor and those who struggle in the most extreme situations, we know immediately that their faith exceeds our own self-interested faith, that their faith is rich and deep, not because... They've had the best, but because they've had faith amidst the worst. What about how faith will enable you to avoid accidents and natural disasters? You'll be safe from cyclone, flood, fire, road trauma, um, coronavirus and everything else if you have faith. We know that's absurd, but we kind of still think it. In the Philippines, I went on a flight with an Indigenous man, never been on an aeroplane. And uh, I turned to him and I said, are you a little bit scared? He said, no, I'm not worried. Because obviously not everyone on the aeroplane is a bad person. (laughs) His idea was that only bad things would happen to bad people. Sometimes we think that too. But when we think deeper, we know That's not how reality is. We know that the rain falls on the unjust and the just alike. That tragedy comes to the faithful as much as the faithless. When I was in Camperdown, I had a a fellow minister who was in a neighbouring parish and he had four preaching points he had to do on a Sunday. And I calculated, I knew it was impossible for him to do that if he drove under 120 kilometres an hour. And I'm sure he drove over it. I said, that's really dangerous, you shouldn't be doing that. He said, I'm certain nothing bad will happen to me when I'm doing the Lord's work. (sighs) Might happen to someone else that you wipe out on the road. One of the sad results of the propagation of distorted notions of faith are the casualties that are caused by it. The numerous ordinary people caught up in disaster and deprivation who added to their already heavy load bear a burden of guilt and despondency. They blame themselves, if only I had more faith. The reasons for talking about these distortions of faith is that we are all plagued by them. We experience them. We suffer from them. But it also helps us to see more clearly what faith might really be. If we take Abraham as an example, then faith is a journey. 
And when we talk about Abraham, we should not forget Sarah. Sarah is the real heroine of the story. Abraham would have achieved very little without her. And if you really read through the story of Abraham, you can see that he was a pretty damaged man. And some of the things he did to his wife, Sarah, were despicable. But together, despite their weakness, Sarah and Abraham had faith. In the passage we read from Genesis, there are three parts. There's a command from God, then there's a promise or blessing, and then there's a note at the end that tells us that Abraham and Sarah complied with what God asked. God says to them, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. God is asking them to set off into the unknown. They're asked to leave their kindred. In the ancient world, ties of family and clan were everything. The locus of meaning, the support and security in times of trouble, the very weave and fabric of life. And they're being asked to leave it all behind. Their neighbours would have thought they were crazy. The wider community would have thought they'd turned into some kind of weird fanatics. To the learned at that centre in Ur, Abraham and Sarah would have been seen as country hicks, lacking brains, education, following a crazy dream. But Abraham, Sarah and Lot, they went. And what they did... And what did they have to go by? Nothing but this conviction that God was saying to them, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and by you all the families of the world shall be blessed. Faith was unconditionally putting themselves into the hands of God and going on a journey to wherever God would lead them. Faith was trusting God through uncertainty. There would be many difficulties. The troubles would not magically fade away. Mistakes would be made. There would be moments when faith would seem extremely fragile. But they kept on trusting in God who had called them. The promise that they would be the forebears of a great nation must have at the time seemed absolutely ridiculous to them. It was not a promise that was going to bring them immediate and great reward. It was not going to bring them material security or freedom from danger. They would not even see it fulfilled in their own lifetime. At times they would doubt and misread the signs of God's will, but they kept on the journey and they reached the new land. They went by faith and in time, a very long time, for Abraham and Sarah would not live to see it, they did become a great nation. And through them all would receive the great blessing. Ultimately, the blessing of Jesus Christ.
In the gospel stories, we see a similar calling. Faith is leaving lesser things behind and going on a journey with Jesus of Nazareth. Their faith was brittle, flawed, but they journeyed with Jesus. The future was not clear, but they believed it would one day become clear. The disciples' faith started with a journey. Faith ebbed and flowed on the journey, and it was shaped and enlarged on the journey. Their journey would take them into the dark chasm of the valley of the shadow of death, and even its darkness and tears would become a highway of hope. None of them was saved from misunderstanding. None of them was saved from abuse. None of them were saved from suffering. They did not become popular and prosperous. In time they had to face the same kind of oppression and death, many of them, that Jesus himself had faced. But as they journeyed, they found the strength and wisdom necessary for each challenge, for each trial. As they travelled, they discovered that although good times came, like when they were going downhill on a smooth path, the times that really built their faith and confidence were when they struggled uphill, or against the storm, or in the face of danger and threat. That's when faith really found its strength. In the reading from Romans, Paul tells us that Abraham was not rewarded for anything he had done, not rewarded for anything he accomplished, any success he had achieved. We don't measure faith by any outcomes we achieve. No, what is reckoned to Abraham as righteousness is the simple fact that he believed God. And as a consequence of his belief, He set out on the journey. It's Abraham's absolute trust in God and being moved forward by that trust, which is for Abraham, faith and ultimately righteousness. We've heard today the story of Nicodemus. You know, the real challenge that Jesus puts before Nicodemus is to surrender himself to the transforming power of the Spirit. You know, Nicodemus was learned and influential. He was an important religious leader. He was one who was in control. He wants to gain entry into the kingdom of God. But one suspects that he wants to gain it on his own terms. What Jesus invites him to is to have faith, to trust, to surrender. To surrender to a movement that is beyond his power and control. As if being born again. I don't think things have really changed. Faith is still about going on a journey. On a journey with God. On a journey with Jesus Christ. Not certain where it will lead us. Not to avoid problems and struggles and hardship. 
but to be assured that wherever we go, we will be in Christ's company. And that ultimately, in the company of Jesus Christ, things will work together for good, even in the face of the most greatest difficulties. If we stay put until we have all the answers, we will never have faith. If we refuse to move until we have constructed for ourselves a neat understanding of Jesus or an adequate definition of God, then we will allow life to slip through our fingers without ever finding faith. It is by stepping out on the road with the little, scrappy, meagre faith that we do have that we will find the greater faith for which we long. I want to emphasise that the journey is not always clear. We come to hard country. We have nasty experiences. We fall and get hurt. Often we wonder whether we are even still on the road. But we keep on stretching ahead, believing that there is a purpose, a value in every step we take in faith. If you spent time in the bush, then you probably know that feeling of wondering if you're on the right track. Or maybe you got lost somewhere back there at one of those turnings when the trail went a different direction. Like life, we, won, we, have, we wonder often, have we made the right decisions? Are we heading towards success or disappointment? But when we ascend the next rise, stop for a rest, we look back and we see how clear the path really was. Winding back there, across the plains, through the scrub, along the path. For me, the life of faith has been like that. By the grace of Christ, I've kept going, even when I wondered whether I have lost the way. And as, but as I look back, I see how wonderfully Christ has led me by faith. I confess that my faith is still fragile, but I still keep travelling. I believe things will work out. I believe I will never be alone. I believe that there's nothing in all creation that will ever separate me from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Like Abraham and Sarah, faith is a journey. A journey into a new future that God has in store for us. Like the disciples, we share the journey with the Spirit of Christ, who opens the scriptures, who begins to make dim things clear, not when we stand still, but as we journey in faith. May God bless these readings and reflections to our heart.
Amén.